Section 26, Chapter 21, The North Carolina Hospitals, Angels of the Battlefield, by George Barton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The North Carolina Hospitals. There were many incidents of interest in the hospitals at Beaufort and Newburn, North Carolina, told by Mother M. Augustine McKenna to her niece, Sister Dolores, and other members of the community of the Sisters of Mercy. Some of these were incorporated in a neat little book called The Milestone, issued last year to commemorate the Golden Jubilee or 50th anniversary of the Sisters of Mercy in New York City, the principal points are embodied in the paragraphs that follow. Beaufort is a village on a little peninsula that runs out into Bogue Sound. It is directly opposite to Fort Macon, which is built on an island in these shallow waters. Before the war, Beaufort was a place of fashionable resort for sea bathing, and its principal hotel, though a frame building, contained 500 rooms and was elaborately furnished. But having been sacked in the spring of 1862, everything of value was destroyed. It was therefore in a sadly denuded condition when it was utilized as a hospital and made the temporary resting place of 200 disabled men just two months previous to the coming of the sisters. Only the common army rations had been provided for these sufferers, and their situation was painful in the extreme. A complete dearth of utensils in every department marked the early management of the hospital. There was no modern means of washing clothes. It had to be done with a few small old-fashioned tubs and the untrained hands of some escaped field slaves. No artificial light of any kind, not even a candle, could be procured at that time in Beaufort, and there was no proper food or refreshing drink for the patients. The sisters sent an urgent requisition to the United States Sanitary Commission, and very soon the hospital was amply provided with all necessaries and many comforts in the line of dressing gowns, towels, sponges, Castile soap, Aunt Klein's cologne, etc. Even in the midst of such suffering, many amusing incidents frequently occurred, as, for instance, when a sister undertook the task of getting the kitchen cleaned, this establishment had been, until now, under the control of a certain functionary called the kitchen steward. He was a native of Maine, of short, stout built, never wore shoes, on account of the heat, he said, but always wore an immense straw hat in the house and out of it, and constantly sat in a wheelbarrow at the kitchen door, with a huge bunch of keys dangling from the belt of his ticking apron. He was a woodcutter in his native forest before he was drafted into the army. He could neither read nor write, and his name was Kit Condon. The Negroes, and indeed his fellow soldiers, called him Mr. Kit. It took a great amount of persuasion to induce Mr. Kit to relinquish his keys, the token of his dignified office, to the North Lady, as the sister in charge was called, and he eyed the cleaning process from his wheelbarrow with evident disapproval. Mr. Tripp, 
a soldier six feet high, was another important personage in the culinary department, and this with Edward the baker who made his cookies, buns, pies, etc., on the marble top of a ruined billiard table, completed the kitchen force. The renovating that kitchen received was marvelous. Piles of greasy sand were swept into the ocean through a never-to-be-forgotten hole in the very midst of the kitchen floor. The house being built on piles or timber supports, this portion of it was directly above the water. After the debris of a meal had been thrown them through this opening, the fishes could be seen by hundreds when the tide was in, and nothing could surpass their voracity, unless indeed it was their quarrelsomeness, for they seemed bent on annihilating one another. One day much excitement was created by the arrival of an escaped slave. A tall young girl was seen running breathlessly across the sort of bridge or causeway that connected the hospital premises with the village of Beaufort. She was quickly followed by an elderly southerner, and he was very close to her when she got to the end of her perilous race. The soldiers cheered her wildly and called to her that she was safe with them while they pointed their bayonets at her pursuer and swore in no measured terms that they would pitch him into the sea if he laid a finger on the girl. However, some of the officers took up the case and brought both man and girl into the general's office in order to come to an understanding. The man cried out, she is my gal, she is my gal, she was born upon my place, she is mine. But the general would not listen to this claim, and told the man the girl was free from the moment she claimed the protection of the army. She was all trembling and exhausted with fear, fatigue, and excitement, and during the remainder of that day she had to be encouraged and consoled and petted like a baby, although she was seventeen. Her name was Ellen and she had a sweeter face and softer manners than are generally found among colored persons. Towards the end of October, the tides became very high, and the water was driven under and around the hospital with greater impetuosity by the wind. On one occasion, the water was profane enough to invade the hall, where a good old Unitarian minister held forth to his sparse congregation, and the meeting had to be discontinued. The next tide was still more daring, for it swept clear through the kitchen and dining room, leaving in both a debris of dead crabs and little fish, not to mention seaweed of every variety. All this rendered the place very uninhabitable, and General Foster, with his usual thoughtfulness, authorized the sisters to move to Newburn and to take possession of the Stanley House, the officers and doctors receiving orders at the same time to remove the patients thither as soon as possible. The two sisters sent to inspect the prospects in Newburn had a delightful sail in an open boat through the sound, past Fort Macon, and past the Sea Green Islands on to Moorhead City, which city consisted of twelve houses and a few shanties. On arriving at Newburn, the sisters were agreeably surprised at the aspect of the Stanley House, so-called because it had originally been the home of Governor Stanley of North Carolina. A handsome lawn or courtyard lay in front of the house. Beautiful large cedars grew within this enclosure, 
and as their berries were now ripening flocks of mockingbirds were rejoicing in their branches and filling the air with their own inimitable harmony in a corner stood a grand old pride of india the first tree of the kind the sisters had ever seen climbing roses clustered around the windows and numbers of little songsters made their abode in the foliage the house was fine and in perfect repair having been used as general burnside's headquarters it had not been ransacked or rifled as most of the other houses had been of the two large handsome parlors one was set aside for a chapel and a beautiful one it became soon afterwards in the last week of october the hospital at beaufort was vacated and the sick soldiers were much more comfortably settled in their winter quarters the hospital was distinct from the stanley residence and consisted of three houses and several newly erected pavilions a nice shady path and a large garden separated these from the sisters domicile in december eighteen sixty two general foster with a large detachment of the men under his charge made an attack on the town of goldsboro north carolina and almost ruined it an immense number of soldiers were wounded and as the doctor's stores had not arrived the surgeons had no old linen or lint with which to bind up the wounds of the poor sufferers for this reason they presented a most fearful spectacle some had their heads and faces wrapped in coarse cloth and were so besmeared with blood that the sight was a painful one others indeed the greater number had either one or both feet in a terrible condition the feet having been pierced with balls there were broken legs broken arms and one unhappy victim had both hands shot off and the condition of these agonizing wounds was something terrible the first task of the sisters was to feed the wretched sufferers who had had but little care bestowed upon them after that the difficult and distressing duty of cleansing their wounds was undertaken and was left entirely to the sisters one very large man named sherman an englishman had his mouth and chin so shattered that the doctors decided that his mouth had better not be touched as he must certainly die however the sisters with soft sponges and warm water began to loosen the horrible rags with which the poor man's face and head were covered he poor fellow had heard enough of the doctor's opinion to render him hopeless and when he found that efforts were being made to relieve him he tried to evince his gratitude by signs when the wraps were removed blood began to flow from his mouth and a sister took out with her finger several loosened teeth and thus greatly facilitated his breathing the utmost possible care was taken of this patient and the satisfaction of seeing him perfectly restored to health though disfigured in a dreadful manner was in itself a great reward the dumb gratitude he displayed when he came to say good-bye as he was leaving the hospital was very pathetic another interesting case was that of david brant a ruddy-faced lad about eighteen years of age he was suffering in some way that could not at first be discovered it was noticed that he kept moving his feet in a distressing sort of way these members were uncovered when to the surprise of the sister attending him it was found that he had still his boots on and that they seemed ready to burst 
some of the soldiers at hand came with knives and cut them off piece by piece with great difficulty and then alas it was found that veins of the boy's legs had burst open and his boots were filled with clotted blood the doctors were sent for and had great trouble in stanching the blood and in tying up the arteries it need hardly be added that the poor lad died the next day in great agony he was the victim of a forced march in which the men were made to run for several miles without stopping the sisters wrote to his father the least painful account possible of the poor son's death and received a most grateful reply the bereaved gentleman adding that but for them he would never have known the real truth of the sad event hiram was a victim of camp fever unfortunately for him he had been kept in camp too long after he took sick and the fly blister had been applied to the back of his neck some of his comrades took it off but applied no dressing of any kind so that the coarse blue flannel collar of his shirt grew into the raw sore and his hair also festered into it it was his cries that first attracted the attention of a sister for he was brought into the hospital in this condition she found a soldier trying to relieve him by applying a coarse wet towel in cold water to his neck and this caused the screams of the sufferer a soft sponge warm water and castile soap came into requisition here and when the hair was cut so as to free it from the sore and the gathers of the shirt loosened from the collar the poor boy began to feel a little relief as he lay with his face buried in the pillow he did not see who was attending him who is doing that a sister of mercy was the reply no said he no one but my mother could do it by degrees the sore was nicely dressed with soft old linen and cold water the only dressing allowed by the doctors and then hiram stole a glance at his new friend and nurse what are you at all was the first question the sister tried to make him understand what a sister of mercy does or tries to do for those who suffer and he sank back in his pillow saying i don't care what you are you are a mother to me he was only sixteen full of bright intelligence and wit but after suffering dreadfully for six weeks from the fatal fever he died in the arms of his father who had been apprised by the sisters of poor hiram's condition and had come from boston to remain with him many such sad incidents might be related but no doubt such are the records of every hospital the sisters continued their services until may eighteen sixty three when general foster under whose protection they had been able to effect much good was ordered to tallahassee florida where there was no need of a military hospital the necessity for the sisters was now not so great in north carolina most of the poor men having been released from their sufferings many by death and others by recovery so preparations were commenced for returning to new york the sisters felt very much for the poor negro girls who had attached themselves to them so affectionately and who in their simple ignorance thought that the north ladies could do anything and everything some very amusing incidents took place in connection with our contrabands one night a sister having forgotten something in the kitchen went for it at a later hour than usual 
all the negro girls and women who worked for the hospital scrubbing washing ironing etc slept in the rooms over the kitchen and the sister hearing peals of laughter did not think it beneath her dignity to act the part of a listener under these colored circumstances she therefore went noiselessly up the stairs and to her great amusement heard herself perfectly imitated by one of the girls this sister had for many months been giving the general instructions to the women and girls now she heard the very tones of her voice and the manner of her delivery most perfectly reproduced another genius undertook to represent another sister and so on until every sister was portrayed to the great delight of the company the members of which never dreamed of the amused listener on the kitchen stairs the solicitude of the sisters for the welfare of their patients frequently caused warm friendships that continued long after the close of the war sister mary gertrude and mother mary augustine were two of the sisters attached to the hospitals in beaufort and newburn one of those cases that came under their care was that of charles edward hickling of the forty fifth regiment massachusetts volunteers the bravery and manliness of this young soldier won the hearts of all illness contracted in the service finally caused his death in eighteen sixty seven he bore all his suffering with great fortitude during his illness the sisters visited him at his home and after his death sent consoling letters to the bereaved family these letters show the tender sympathy and general interest of the sisters toward the soldiers to such an extent that the writer feels justified in giving brief extracts from what were intended to be personal missives sister mary gertrude under date of january three eighteen sixty eight wrote to the parents how can i express to you in adequate terms the very great grief and affectionate sympathy i feel toward you in your great affliction may god be your comfort and your refuge in this trying hour for in sufferings such as these no creature can give you consolation we must look higher he who sent the cross can alone give the power to sustain its weight do not give way to despondency my very dear friends the dear boy has only gone before you for a time we are all hastening towards our turn in a very little time we too shall have passed the eternal gates there to meet all we have loved and lost and with them praise the tender mercy of the good God to us whilst in our exile. I have been, and am still with you, in thought and spirit, going through the least detail of all the trying circumstances of this sad bereavement. Mother Augustine, who was the superior of the sisters at the Newburn Hospital, writing to a devoted friend, Miss Susan Messenger, said on January 4, 1868, so our brave soldier boy is gone his long and trying march has brought him to the goal and in his young enthusiasm he has gone to join the numerous band of those who were his companions in the field and in the fight in danger and in privations exposure and fatigue but not in the long years of patient and heroic endurance which requires more of a martyr's fortitude than a soldier's courage dear charles he is the last of our soldier boys the last link that bound us to the boston regiment the brave massachusetts volunteers whose heroism we shall never forget eternity dear charles knows its wonders now 
Let us pray that we may so live, so use our powers here, that our eternity may be with those who have fought their way through the trials and sorrows of life to its unending peace. End of chapter 21